Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. Christmas is so close, but yet it still seems so far away. The last couple of days watching the news, I struck me as I was, it's the first time I've heard it, maybe I've missed it through the last several years, but somebody named yesterday Panic Saturday. And I thought, really? I, I thought that was a different reason why we were celebrating Christmas, but they did all the interviews with the people who loved the shop and the, the adrenaline rush of getting that by on the last day and the last moment. I mean, the excitement and anticipation for Christmas is so thick you can cut it with a knife. But what is it that we're excited about? What are we anticipating? Are we filled with an overflowing sense of the expectant joy to welcome Christ into the world again? Or maybe you're excited about what you might find under the tree. Maybe it's a new key fob for Alexis, right? That's what they keep showing me on television. I would hope that As I joke, I would hope that we're fully aware that there is a real difference between the joy of Christ coming, that is the presence of joy we get when we stand there on Christmas Eve and sing joy to the world with a full heart of faith, and that idea of happiness we feel when our Christmas list has been fulfilled after all the presents are open. I would hope that we're aware of that difference. But my having to say that begs the question, what exactly is the difference between the joy of Christ coming and the joy of those presents? Today we lit the fourth candle in our Advent wreath, and I read that it symbolizes joy. Typically, tradition has us lighting the candle of joy on the third Sunday of Advent. But doing so today, I think, helps us bring a more powerful witness to the meaning behind Christ's coming. The anticipation we feel that finds its fulfillment and joy is founded on the assurance that God is with us always. Emmanuel. The feeling of joy can come with happiness, or it sometimes is the joy that can grow even in the midst of difficulty and despair. Altogether, joy is a profound feeling. It's more than just the joy we experience at unwrapping those presents. It isn't just mere happiness, or it isn't just coming out of sadness. Why? Because those feelings don't hang around very long. After everybody's opened their gifts and presents, what do you find in the middle of the floor? The wrapping paper. Is that joyful for you, then, that you have to find a way to pick it all up? Find a garbage bag big enough to fit it all? The joy's gone pretty quickly at that moment, isn't it? That's almost joy. The altogether joy defies any definition of any category, and it can't even be explained. Through the last several weeks, we have moved through the others, the the hope and the peace and the love, talking about almost and all together, and today we move from almost joy to all together joy. 
If you're seeking joy from my sermon or any of the words that we share today, you may be disappointed. Joy can't be manufactured. You can't necessarily seek it out. It, it can be studied, but not so that you can get joy. Just like it's impossible to tickle yourself. Joy is not something you achieve or you get. It is a gift. Altogether, joy is a gift. When we hear the story leading to the birth of Jesus, we often stay away from the Gospel of Mark. Because if you read the Gospel of Mark, it has very little joy and not much to contribute to the idea of waiting in Advent. Mark's Gospel is fast. It has lots of action in it. It's like Jesus comes out of nowhere without the beginning that calls for us to rejoice in the birth of a Savior. Mark is hurried. And often that's how we see the season of Advent. All the preparations, the decorations, the planning, the meal, and in a blink of an eye, it's done. That's why when we read the Gospel of Luke, we hear much, much more. We hear it chock full of joy. That joy, that altogether joy, is there when we meet Zechariah, who's promised a child through his wife Elizabeth. But as he talks to the angel, he complains that we're old. How is this going to happen? Even in all of that disbelief, there's a story of great joy. And then he's struck mute, unable to speak. Maybe we need to be struck mute too, to be silent for a while. I mean, as we get closer to Christmas, as the world speeds up, as it's Panic Saturday and maybe even Panic Sunday, we need to slow down. We need to be silent. We need to let everything go and leave room for that joy to come. In slowing down, we can then take the time we need to to truly listen rather than speak. Some would say Zechariah's silence was a curse. But I argue it was a gift because it gave him an opportunity to look forward to when his son was born, John. The silence created space for him and silence can create a space for all of us to experience the fullness of an altogether joy. We see that joy in the Bible when the child of Elizabeth and Zechariah is taken to the temple to be circumcised and named, and his name shall be John. After Zechariah scribbles John's name on a tablet, he's suddenly able to speak. And instead of his first words being, thank God that's over, he sings a song of joy. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed the people in the tender compassion of our God. The dawn from on high will break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. We remember the dark times then. And we remember the light of that night that came. And we do that when we join together on Christmas Eve by singing in candlelight, silent night, holy night. In the midst of the darkness and the candlelight, the hymn places so much perspective on that silence for me. It helps me appreciate the beauty of silence 
and the darkness and the light. Maybe that's what Mary was pondering that night. We hear the words that Mary took all of this in as everything was going around and pondered it in her heart. Maybe that's what we need to do as well. John Wesley's brother Charles was not only a priest but a very prolific hymn writer. In his attempt to share the joy of the coming of Christ, he wrote the hymn, Hark the Herald, the Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn king, joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. For all the words we sing in that hymn, the last line of that verse sets the tone for what John and Charles truly understood the nature of an altogether joy to be. God and sinners reconciled. For John Wesley's salvation and joy go hand in hand. I mean, think about it. There is no joy if you don't feel forgiven. There's no joy for those who have no assurance of salvation. Without an understanding of altogether joy, there is little for which we can give thanks. Joy comes from knowing that God is near and salvation is offered to all. God and all sinners are reconciled, brought back together, not just God and the people who attend church or Advent worship or Christmas Eve, all. Joyful all ye nations rise, not just those who share our political beliefs. All people from the strongest to the weakest are invited to proclaim the birth of the Christ child. John Wesley wrote, speak from my mouth a sacred song. Mercy I sing, transporting sound, the joy of earth and heaven. Mercy by every sinner found, who takes what God hath given. He calls as many souls as breathe, and all may hear the call. Be justified by faith alone, and freely saved by grace. During this hectic time of year, and any time, really, we need to remember that we are justified. That is, we are made right and righteous by God through our faith and God's grace freely given. That is an altogether joy. Almost joy, on the other hand, is an emotion we often feel during the holidays. Whether it's because a family is around, a special gift that you've been given, or maybe even the numerous good works that we're encouraged to offer. Doing every good you can in the season may make you feel good, but it does not produce an altogether joy. That almost joy is here today and gone tomorrow. That's the kind of joy we produce through presence under the tree, gathering around the table, singing songs, all of it, create an environment where there is a glimmer of joy. But after all is said and done and the tree hauled to the curb, the joy we feel is an incomplete one. And altogether joy can only be received through God's grace. Notice I didn't say taken. I said received. As we move from here this day and get closer to the manger, I pray for each of us that our souls are ready to receive that precious gift of joy. And through that joy, we know the steadfast assurance that God is with us, Emmanuel.
Jesus in the manger is the manifestation, the coming to life, being made human. That is the joy. But how do we move to that altogether joy? How do we receive it? Knowing that joy is a steadfast assurance that God is always with us, even in the midst of pain. All you have to do is turn to the Psalms to help us understand joy and what it can mean to receive that altogether joy. We just read one of them, Psalm 30. The straightforward message from Psalm 30 is that joy is a gift. A gift often received in the midst of great despair and sadness. And notice, too, the writer recognizes that we all need to be lifted up, put back on our feet. Maybe the writer needed to be lifted up because during the time that they were living, the powerful and the privileged were oppressing him. Maybe his sins or his faults have been such a great weight upon him that God was the only one who can lift him. He could no longer carry those burdens. I'm just guessing, really. We may not even know at all why he felt the need to be lifted up. But we do, what we do know is that he recognizes that it is God and God alone. No one else can lift him to that altogether joy. Is that how your faith sees God? That even in the midst of the suffering that you might be going through, you're still able to praise God in the midst of the storm. And while weeping and night only last for a little while, you can praise him joyfully in the morning, having been lifted up. Again, joy, this altogether joy, is the steadfast assurance, a non-wavering belief that God is with us no matter what. If I ascend to heaven... When I'm enjoying the best of times, God is there. When I make my bed in the pit, when I hit rock bottom, God is there. When my soul leaps for joy, God is there. Being able to live a life of faith in this way is doing so from a heart which has experienced God and an altogether joy. I do know that sometimes... Trying to describe joy is indescribable. It goes beyond that idea of steadfast assurance that God is with us. It goes above and beyond it. Have you ever tried to describe the indescribable? I remember the day my son Michael was born. My richest moment of indescribable joy, which I still have no words for today, was when the nurse wrapped him up and handed him to me, and I was holding him. He was so tiny. I didn't want to break him. His eyes were wide open. He licked his lips a couple of times. He was quiet. He looked right at me. I don't have any words to describe that moment and what it meant. The only one that comes to me at this point is joy. It was a joyful moment, but it was beyond anything else I can describe because at that moment, I knew that God was with us. Because of him and so many other children, 
God has not given up on his human family. That should be a joyful peace for us in our faith. Some would say it's easy to describe what something is not, right? John Wesley was fond of using that kind of work in some of his sermons. I mean, how would you describe the character of someone who was Methodist? What sets Methodists apart from other walks of faith? In his sermon called The Character of Methodists, he moves through several ways of saying what Methodism is not. A Methodist for him is someone not of one opinion, doesn't use distinguishing words or phrases, or boils down religion to a cause. For him, Methodist is someone who has a love of God shed abroad in his heart. God, he says, is the joy of his heart and the desire in his soul. While there may be many things that distinguish us from other denominations, Wesley was clear that we, as Methodists, are to be people of hope. We are to pray without ceasing, be pure in heart, producing good fruit, never speak evil against neighbor, doing good to all people. Not because it's the right thing to do, because God did it for you first. If you read enough Methodist history, you know that John and his brother never had any intention to create something brand new. In fact, the word Methodist was used as a derogatory term to describe John and Charles and many of the other people who were working together. Their hope was simply to re-energize the church, to help people find that indescribable joy that was knowing God and living out their faith based on the assurance that God is always with them. Experiencing joy and experiencing God are one in the same thing. We started our service by lighting the final candle in the circle, candle of joy, to complete that circle of light. We still have one more to light, but that's for a different time. Joy is where our words fail us. After all the candles have been lit, after the liturgy has been read, after Christmas concerts and programs and meetings, all that is left is God in the flesh. That tangible presence of the assurance that God, Emmanuel, is here. And all that's left for us to do is point to the manger. Again, this is why Mary that night treasured and pondered all that had happened on that silent or not so silent night. There was nothing else she needed to do. There is nothing else that needs to be done. And almost joy is too loud. Feeling the necessity to fill the room with something, with anything. And altogether joy is the experience of Christmas. It is the presence of God in the Christ child that strengthens our excitement, that holds our weeping like we're holding our breath, waiting for the joy to come in the morning. There's nothing else we need to do. Altogether, joy is something that can only be received. 
So how will you receive it this year? How will you do your best this Christmas and in the coming new year to open yourself more fully to receive God's altogether joy? Where and when will you take some time to sit in the silence and ponder all these things in your heart? My prayer for each of us this Christmas comes from the words of Psalm 30. As we receive that assurance and joy that God, that comes from God in Christ with us. Listen to these words from Eugene Peterson's The Message version of the Bible. These are the words he writes for Psalm 30. You did it, Lord. You changed my lament into whirling dance. You ripped off my black morning band and decked me with wildflowers. I'm about to burst into song. I can't keep quiet about you, God. My God, I can't thank you enough. This Christmas Eve, we will sing Silent Night, Holy Night in the midst of candle lighting. And after a brief prayer and some silence, the next thing we do is sing what? Joy to the world. That's my prayer for this Christmas. That we not only sing it, but share the altogether joy of Christ wherever we go, with whoever we meet, at every time we do it. Amen.